Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. It is thick up here with Holy Spirit, I can tell you that. Um, I was like, okay, Lord, I have to be able to stand up. So I was glad for the chairs, just in case it gets real, y'all. So um, today I want to share a story of hope, love, and relationship. It's a story of Peter walking on water. Matthew 14, 23 through 33. He directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he had dismissed the multitudes, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was still there alone. But the boat by this time was out in the sea, many furlongs, distant away from the land, beaten and tossed by the waves, for the wind was against them. But in the fourth watch, of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. And instantly he spoke to them saying, take courage. I am. Stop being afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And then he perceived and felt the strong wind, and he was frightened. And he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, held him, saying to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, And those in the boat knelt and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. For years, when I read this story, and the way it was illustrated to me, was as one of failure. Peter failed, and Jesus was disappointed. You of little faith, why did you doubt? That's how I heard it. We grow accustomed to hearing and therefore believing based on our life experiences. Example from my life. When I was growing up, my father would often say to me, especially when I didn't bring home the grade he wanted, when they were passing out brains, you thought they said train and you said no thank you. So I went through most of my life feeling stupid, dumb, less than, and getting old in two pairs of glasses. Okay. So fast forward to when I was born again, and I was reading the Word, and I heard this story, and I always heard it as one of failure. Jesus disappointed because I, like Peter, didn't have enough faith. I doubted, and then Jesus was disappointed. 
But I was blessed back in the 80s to be part of a group, which was another story that I was totally arranged by God. But this group of people had an amazing relationship and understanding with Jesus, Papa, and Holy Spirit. So I want to share some insights of how I see this now. This is a story, an example of hope. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 tells us that Jesus lowered, emptied himself to be just like me, to be just like us. Everything Jesus did on earth was as a man, human, not as God, because we need an example. We need an example of what a relationship with Abba Father should look like. In verse 23, after Jesus had dismissed the crowd and sent the disciples away, he went to pray. He went alone to be with his father. He needed refreshing. He needed his father. I like to imagine Jesus and the father having this discussion about what it must be like to train 12 crazy, irresponsible wild men who were going to become disciples and spread the gospel. What a conversation. So after the time Jesus had spent with Papa and knowing the storm was on the sea, he began walking towards them. The the, the disciples were struggling. They were rowing against the wind. It was rough out there. I find it interesting, though, that the first thing the disciples thought was, it's a ghost. They were filled with fear. I don't know about y'all, but my brain can go there. Fear is their reaction. Had he been killed by those who hated him? Fear took over. So Jesus, knowing their fears, says, take courage. It's me. I wish it was that simple in my life that he'd just show up, you know, to fast and go, it's me. Anyway, don't be afraid, he says. And here's Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Crazy Peter. He just hops right on out of that boat. I mean, just jumps right on out there. Steps on that water and he starts to walk. Until. All of a sudden, he's controlled by his fear. He's controlled by the atmosphere, the waves, the water under his feet. He becomes aware of his surroundings. He takes his eyes off Jesus. And he begins to sink. I don't know about you. But there have been many times in my life when I start off to do something only to get caught up in the circumstances, situations, hard times, and start to sink. Fear comes. Jesus, if this is really you, this is hard. Jesus, I can't do this. Jesus, Where were you and what are you thinking telling me to come and try to come to believe I am sinking here? 
Those are my thoughts. But Jesus. But Jesus. He reached out his hand and says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Faith is a great description in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for, things we do not see or perceive as though they are. Jesus is not disappointed or angry in Peter. Have you ever taught your child to ride a bicycle? They fall down. You don't get disappointed. You keep practicing. You keep teaching. You keep loving. But when circumstances become hard, we start to sink. Jesus came to demonstrate that our life would look like if we spent time with him, believing, trusting that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that he will tell us to walk on the water, that he will tell us to walk on life's struggles, to walk with our eyes on him. He will build our faith. Jesus is not disappointed in you. So don't believe Jesus thinks that you don't have enough faith to walk on water at your very first try. Trust him. Spend time with him. Your faith will grow. Your relationship with him will grow. And with Papa and with Holy Spirit. Never, never does God see your failures. He only sees the plans he has for you. All right, praise the Lord. Um, if you would like to uh, come up, we'll uh, start your eight minutes. Guys, teaching in eight minutes is legit difficult, so uh, I'm very thankful for these uh, individuals who are willing to do that. And go. All right. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want to lay some foundation real quick. So I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 12. I want to go to verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. I'm going to go ahead and start reading as you get there. All right. This is Paul. Paul is talking about the thorn that he has in his side. Chris asked me um, earlier in the week before he had the surgery, could I speak on stress? And I was like, absolutely. Um, I've had a very stressful life. Um, so I, I can go on and on and on. I told my son, bro, I can preach on this for weeks, and not, not just eight minutes, for like hours. Um, but good stress and bad stress. But we're going to talk about a particular one right now. So we're right here at verse 7. It says, or because of, of the surprising, surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
that's a foundational scripture for all of us. Um, I never grew up really in the church for the most part. That's part of the reason why I don't act like a pastor. Um, I, I, I still think I'm a kid to a certain degree, and I, I just think I can kind of do as I want to. But through all the trials and hardships and Scripture says the refining fires that we have to go through, um, he molded and shaped me. So to me, stress can be a bad thing, but to me, it, sh- it molded and shaped me. I want to kind of talk about what happens when God doesn't remove the stress that you're asking to take away. Um, a lot of people don't like talking about it because it becomes very uncomfortable very quickly. But I'm also here to tell you those stresses, if you embrace them, or as a term I hear, I hear in like rucking and, and working out, if you embrace the suck, all honestly, you can become stronger out of it because of him working through you. You have a couple choices, though. And then Paul's talking about this right here, um, about the persecution he dealt with and, and dealing with uh, the, where's that? all the difficulties, persecutions, the hardships. We all deal with those on a day-to-day basis. Some are physical, some are mental, some are emotional, some are spiritual. Without those stresses in our life, though, we won't move. We'll just sit complacent. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to pick on you for a second. Come here. One key point I want you to remember to have you taken notes. Stress is designed to move you in a, in a general direction. Let me borrow your hand for a second. I'm not going to hurt you, right? Okay. So if I want to take him somewhere, I can direct him where I want to. Okay, now that's a basic little lock, nothing crazy. If I want to walk him, I can stand him up. If I want to come in, hold him, let me have that. Let's walk. That doesn't feel good. So I can make him like a puppet. He can come up a little bit on his toes, or I can walk him around. Naturally, we're designed to go away from stress. Every time I twist in, in his wrist and moved him, your body wants to naturally go away from the pain. Now, Caleb and I have studied a style of jiu-jitsu that teaches blending into it and embracing it and going through it, not just pulling away from it. Many times, as Sensei Ryan and have probably talked to both of us, that sometimes pulling away from it is the worst thing you can do because you go into something worse. Unfortunately, it's not just in martial arts as it like that. It's like that in life. We're not called to run away from stresses. We're called to confront them in the name of Jesus and put them in their place because the stresses dictate us and move us accordingly. As I said, stress was designed to move us in a direction where we get to choose what direction we go. Paul chose his thorn in his side not just as a, as a remembrance of the stuff that maybe he did in his past or maybe something physically wrong with him. Paul knew he had something there. But instead of, instead of letting it dictate and direct him to being complacent and sitting still, he became one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. He used that thorn as a platform. He used that stress as a strength. And, that's, and, he, and he, he gave Christ, he gave, he gave him all the glory for it. Two choices. You either run from the stress, never confront it, and you allow it to direct you in the rest of your life. Or two, you embrace the stress and allow God to turn it into a strength. Uh, it was really cool when he came up and read Psalm 34 a while ago, because I was thinking about that a little bit. One of the greatest things you can ever do to, to take a stressor that's in your life is to speak death over it and to praise your way through it. Praise is a weapon. 
Worship is a weapon. A lot of people don't tend to take that way, especially men. I will, I will say that. Guys have a hard time succumbing to that concept. Women, they just go for it. So it's cool. I will exalt the Lord. I will praise the Lord in all times. His praise will forever and always be on my lips. That is something that was key to me for, I'd say, for the past five or six years of my life. As I heard, as you hear me say, I've, I lived a pretty stressful life. Age six, my parents divorced. I totally understood what was going on. I knew mom and dad weren't getting along. They never fought in front of me, but I knew something was up. Something was kind of junky. It was, it was cruddy. A little bit later in life, you know, they're both remarried, so on and so forth. My mom ends up adopting another a, a kid, a little boy. So I have an adopted brother, really cool, awesome. Two years later, he's ripped away from us by his um, birth mother. Years later, that threw me into a tailspin of just depression from roughly fifth grade to eighth grade. I hated myself. Totally. And it wasn't until I got involved with a good group of people who saw value in me, who directed me to the person who put the value in me to begin with. Years after that, working my way into jobs and things of nature, still wasn't fully involved in the church, still fully wasn't committed. The brother that was adopted committed suicide right when he got introduced back into my life. Again, there's more stress on top of it. I can go years after that, working at a job that treated you like a machine, stress every day, didn't care if you were sick, didn't care if your wife had a miscarriage, for real. That's what it was like. I ended up leaving that job because that night I sat in my bed and I told God, I was like, if you're willing to do anything, if you're willing to take me right now, I give you everything. I don't care what you call me to do, how stupid or crazy it might be. You got me. And I went to work the next day and put in my notice and quit make, quit a job making a lot of money. Not to make nothing because he told me to. Stress from then wasn't just something that was bad in my life. Stress then was something that I realized he molded and shaped me and moved me to the point that seven years in the ministry, I watched my wife leave me because I was a pastor. Job, a season of Job, if you will. And now I'm out of it years later. Five years later, I have my wife, a new wife, I guess you could say. She wants to be a pastor's wife. It's kind of cool. But I gained so much out of that. But if I didn't go through the stress, if I didn't go through those things, I honestly couldn't say that God was real to me either. Because in my weakest point of my entire life, he made me stronger than I ever thought I could possibly be. He took the thorn that was in Paul and created something they could do great with. Stress is a good thing. We have to learn to embrace it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one definition of anxiety is probably unresolved tension. If you're anxious in your life, you probably have some level of unresolved tension, some unknown thing kind of hanging over your head. You don't know how it's going to get resolved. You don't know how it's going to work out. It probably feels a good bit bigger than you. Um, and so 
our brother talked about how God works in stress to direct your life, to make you stronger, and to push you. And the scriptures talk a lot about that. And yet simultaneously, almost paradoxically, um, the scriptures also talk about not being anxious and the means by which we are not anxious. Um, you might even call those the center of biblical tension. And so I was thinking about how to, how to go at this, and I think I'm going to start in a way that's going to be a little confusing, and I'm going to basically say this. Um, cemeteries are filled with indispensable people. I've got so much to do, too many things to do, too much life to live, too many people to help. The world needs me too much. I get hit by a bus today and be gone that fast. That's true of everyone in this room. You will die. And in the grand scheme of things, you will die soon. David says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? I am a breath foggy morning, gone. And yet, I think so much of anxiety is the feeling that somehow I can or need to hold the world. So Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, probably not being fed very much, he's been beaten, scorned, bit by snakes, shipwrecked, laughed at, stoned, goodness gracious, they beat him with big stones until they thought he was dead. Paul, sitting in a prison, says these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, with emphasis, right? Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4 is like one of my favorite passages. Um, If you're interested in spending like five hours or even just some period of time talking about those passages, I would love to do that in more than five minutes. But I'm going to unpack couple of things, just a couple of things. We always quote this passage. I've heard it a billion times. Do not be anxious. And I don't think that's right because that's not where he starts. He starts with rejoice in the Lord. So you go to someone and you go, yeah, your life's a mess. It's crazy. You're overwhelmed. You've got a lot going on. Your kid's screaming in the background. Your wife's threatening to leave. You just found out you have cancer. Paul says, don't be anxious. You go, yeah, forget you. That makes me more anxious. Now I'm disobeying God too. No, 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 no. Rejoicing in God means a couple of things. First of all, it means that I I recognize that fundamentally the one who holds all things together and as Romans 8 says, works together all things for good 
is not me. It's the one who holds me. You will not change and you will not accomplish anything if fundamentally you don't recognize that it's God's work in and through you that brings about change, transformation, life, peace, joy, etc. And so rejoicing in God means you're not looking to yourself to solve the problems that are definitely bigger than you, but rather you're looking for God. Another story we read wrong all the time is David and Goliath. David had confidence and stepped out on the field of battle and fought Goliath. Poke around in that text sometime. The text will tell you that David recognized that it was God who would defeat Goliath. Did he use David? Yes. Was it God? Yes. Did God need David? Nah, God poured out all kinds of, what's a churchy way to say butt kicks, on all kinds of people in the Old Testament. And so, as depressing as this sounds initially, I think this is very freeing. You will die, and you're just not that important. My dad always told me that. I would get wrapped up in, how can I help this person who so desperately needs help? Oh my gosh, I can't do it. It's too much for me. She's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to kill himself. I don't know. And my dad would go, you're not that important. Forget you. What do you mean I'm not that important? He goes, you're not that important. God loves you. You're an image bearer of God. I'm not saying you're not important. What I'm saying is you are not so desperately needed that situations cannot be resolved by God in his time without you. Anxiety is unresolved tension. I guess my question is, who are we ultimately trusting in to steer our way, to protect us, to guide our lives, to take care of the people of others. There have been things in my life where I've gone, you're right, I can't, I can't do this. I can't control this. I'll do my best, I'll pray it through, but I can't do it. God's got to do it. And God will do it. And God has done it. Rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. I want to tell you something that I am a total hypocrite about, and I get it. If you've got cancer, if you've got brokenness or diseases or problems or psychological issues or money issues or huge, unbelievable problems in your life, and you're going, I cannot rejoice, I cannot be happy, there's too much bad. In the grand eternal scheme of things, we all of us make mountains out of ultimate molehills. If that doesn't encourage you, I want it to encourage you. Because what I'm getting at is that if God is the God of the universe, and if God will give us what he has promised to give us, then an eternity of glory, joy, togetherness, peace, kindness, love, fun, beauty, passion, etc. is your ultimate destiny in Christ. Which means all of the sufferings of this lifetime, this brief, and then it's gone, all hills comparatively. If you're stressed out, 
anxious, depressed, if you've got trials in your life, I'm with you. I get that. I understand that. And I do not want to discourage you in that. I do want to encourage you to recognize that the way we can overcome anxiety in our life, the way we can have peace and joy in the midst of the worst of circumstances, the way we can, as Paul said, do anything through Christ who strengthens us is by recognizing fundamentally the one who holds the world. And the hope that you have before you in Christ and to live every day in the midst of hardship through and from that reality. So we've um, had three speakers talk about anxiety, um, depression, and hardship. I know, like I know, some of us, probably all of us, definitely me, are going through times in our life where we're anxious, times where we're depressed, times when we have struggles. Maybe we have joy. Maybe we're happy. Maybe God's working in our lives. I don't know. But I want to encourage you in this time. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to come down, everyone to get prayer. If you want to come down and pray with the pray team, I encourage you to come down and pray with the pray team. If you want to go and pray and or talk to one of the speakers about their life, about the scripture they talked about, whatever, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to unload, unburden yourself with the people of God. Because one of the ways God works is through his body, through the church. Um, and so as music starts to play, the prayer teams would like to, to come down. I'm going to invite you. I'm not going to do like a close your eyes deal. Um, I know a lot of y'all are stressed. <laughs> I know somebody's anxious. And I know what I'll do is I'll be like, hey, raise your hand if you're stressed out. Everybody close your eyes. And like 58 people will raise their hands. Yeah, I'm stressed. I'll be like, come down, walk forward, get prayer, my brother. And you'll be like, no, I'm way too stressed out to put myself out in public like that. Right. So I encourage you guys, man, whoever's stressed out there, I don't even care if you're a little bit stressed. Get prayer, get help, talk about it. You are absolutely not alone in that. And God is absolutely bigger than anything and everything you might face. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>